All right, here's how we start. The way we always start is we start with our young ones to tell them what is going to happen in this passage of Scripture, uh, what is the sermon going to be about. So young ones, if I could have your attention, I'm going to say a word to you. Riddles. If you've been here before, kids, and if I say riddles, what does that mean we're going to talk about in the Scripture? Riddles, which the Bible calls parables. Awesome. Okay, now here's the thing about parables. Parables of Jesus are like riddles. What do you got to do when you can't get the answer to a riddle? What do you do? You think, Joseph, what, if you can't get the riddle, you have to ask who? Google? No! Who do you ask? You ask the Riddler. You have to go to the, you, we, God, okay, but, okay, okay, we're getting there. Uh, you've got to ask the Riddler uh, for the answer to the riddle. If you look in the back of your bulletin, there are more riddles there, uh, but I've got some brand new ones for you uh, that y'all have not heard. Uh, this, is, this is why Jesus tells parables, because if you can't get the riddle, then you have to go to Jesus to get the answer to the parable riddle, and that's his whole point, is he wants you to come to him so he can explain what the parables are about. And the parables are always about how much you are in need of a Lord and Savior and how Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. So uh, that's what we're going to see today. Here, here, how about this? Here's a riddle. What tree grows but has no shadow? What tree? Ooh, Keller. A mountain? No. I like where you're going with that, though. What tree grows but has no shadow? Go for it. Druzy, what'd you say? Oh! Did y'all hear that? A family tree. Very good. How about this? Which animals can jump higher than a tree? Go for it, Charlotte. A bird? Mm. Close. Which animal, Sanders? A bee? Me? <laughs> He's not wrong, but I need more. Come on, how is it right that Charlotte's right? What else, Charlotte? A jumping squirrel. That is correct, but I still need the answer to the riddle. Which animals can jump higher than a tree? Sanders. Oh, all of them, because trees can't jump. Very good. How about this one? I am a seed, a seed with three letters in my name. Take away the last two, and I still sound the same. What seed is that? Hoyt thinks he knows. Seed? No? Close? Mustard seed. Here we go. We're getting close. We're about to get to mustard seeds in the parable. What seed? Three letters. You take away the last two. Still sounds the same. Payton. <laughs> I am a seed with three letters in my name. Take away the last two, and I still sound the same. P. P. A P. P-E-A. Take away the last two. P. That's a seed. If you didn't know that, I didn't know that. Okay, how about this? Uh, I grow, last one. I grow in trees, eat living things, but have no teeth, and give birth to one that looks nothing like me. 
I grow in trees, eat living things, have no teeth, and give birth to one that looks nothing like me. OA. A spider? Mm, no, but this thing eats spiders. San wait, wait, Sanders, you, let's go with Grace. Ooh, not a snake, but I think really big versions of these eat snakes too. Eataly? No, and I don't think this thing eats frogs. Sanders? <laughs> a bird! I grow in trees, eat living things, have no teeth, and give birth to one that looks nothing like me. An egg looks nothing like a bird. Um, there you go. Okay, y'all want one more? Okay, when Rick, when Rick was five years old, he hammered a nail into his favorite tree to mark his height. Five years later, he goes back to see how much higher the nail was. Little math here. If the tree grew by five centimeters each year, how much higher would the nail be? Wait, who, what? Who said what? Why would it not be any higher, Luke? You got all of these riddles. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear what Luke said? Because trees grow from their tops, not the bottom. The nail would be at the same height. Okay, y'all got all of my riddles. Fine. But Jesus, Jesus is going to tell a parable about a tree growing very, very slowly over time. And Jesus has to explain to those who come to him that his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is like a tree. So he talks about a mustard seed going into a tree, you know, going into the ground, and then it grows into this big tree, but it doesn't grow really fast. Jesus is going to say it grows really, really slow, but it's always growing. If you guys go look and you find like an acorn, do you know an acorn's a seed? Does an acorn impress you, kids? Well, you know what an acorn can do? If you go plant an acorn, it can grow into a tree that has 10,000 acorns. And then you could go take all those 10,000 acorns and go bury, uh, sorry, yeah, bury those and grow 10,000s of 10,000s more trees. Did you know from one acorn, you could cover the whole earth in trees? Is that cool? From a little acorn? That's amazing. That's crazy. Yes, it is cool. It's really cool. And that's what this parable is like. Jesus says his kingdom is like this little itty-bitty seed that's going to grow into a big tree. And the point is, it's really hard for us. Kids, it's really hard for us to see and to believe that Jesus is really taking care of his kingdom, that his kingdom really is awesome because we can't see Jesus. And we're not exactly sure what is he up to. And sometimes we don't feel like he's up to anything. But here's the point. Can you watch a tree grow? No, 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 no. And it, but is it growing? Yes. And that's, that's what Jesus' point is. Jesus' kingdom is growing. Even if you can't see it, feel it, it is. And he is caring for you and he loves you. And how can you always remember that that is really true? How can you always, always know that? Where did Jesus most care for us? Kids, where did Jesus most care? care for us. Say it. His, the cross, which is a tree. Y'all, the cross, you look to the tree that Jesus was crucified on, you can know that he has died to save you, that he has got you, that his kingdom is real. And because he died on the cross, there is a kingdom and we get to be a part of it. So we're in the gospel of Mark. That's what we're going to see today in the gospel of Mark. Uh, and, and as we're making our way through the gospel, it is normally assumed that all Gospels are organized in like a linear kind of chronological fashion. 
and yeah, there is that basic life, death, resurrection chronology of Jesus, but each gospel, each Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them has an artistic pattern uh, that reveals the same message of the gospel. Uh, we're making our way through Mark's gospel, and we're doing it according to his storytelling technique, kind of broad brushstroke, because uh, we're taking it in chunks. But, but it, so he began his gospel in chapter one with uh, an initiation story. And that's a specific kind of story where it's a collage, it's a mosaic of these intentionally brief episodes that gives us glimpses of who Jesus is, what to expect. Then in chapters two and three of his gospel, he gives us conflict stories because that's the major, this is the major theme with Jesus, that he comes with conflict. Uh, you're either going to love him, accept him, or hate him and reject him. In chapter four, Mark gives us parable stories. Uh, parable stories of Jesus because they really do complement this conflict motif as we are going to see. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 10 for a couple verses, and then we'll uh, skip down to the last parable that he tells in, uh, in Mark's Gospel. It says, When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, picking up on that, that last line right there, he did not speak to them without a parable. If you were wandering around the ancient Near East in the first century and you had heard of Jesus, you would definitely know two things about this guy. You would know he works miracles, he's a miracle worker, and you would know he tells parables. He tells these mysterious stories. But not everyone understood why Jesus told parables. Jesus did not speak in parables in order to be more illuminating, in order to be more transparent so that people could get his message more easily. When we hear Jesus' parables, we have the same reaction that the people then uh, who heard the parables had, which is, okay, interesting, that's interesting, interesting story. Uh, I don't get it. What does that mean? And that is the point. That is why Jesus tells parables, so you have to go to him and ask what does that mean? One group of people is going to hear the parables, and they're either going to go away from Jesus, puzzled, scratching their heads, but not caring what, what Jesus means. Or this group, or they'll go away from Jesus thinking that they understand the parable and just disagreeing with Jesus. Okay, both of those reactions, both of those are a rejection of Jesus. You either disagree or you just don't care. But there is another group by God's grace who is going to hear the parables and with humility respond by coming to Jesus and asking for the meaning, and those are the ones who get the meaning. Jesus' parables 
are inherently part of the conflict that comes with Jesus. Pushing people out, drawing others in, and you'll see the purpose of the parables and the meaning of this parable, it plays itself out in history, in, the li- in their lives and in our lives. So when Jesus asks, what should we compare the kingdom of God to? Just generally speaking, the crowd that's listening to him. Okay, here's Jesus, and he's starting his kingdom. This is what he says. He's starting his kingdom, okay? And we know how, king- we, we know how kingdoms generally get their start. Uh, it, it starts with a king winning battles, you know, fighting wars, defeating enemies, conquering. And then when they're done and they've got that victory and they've got that peace, well, then they live in palaces. Okay, but Jesus does not compare, when he says, what should we compare the kingdom of God to? He doesn't, he doesn't compare his kingdom to warfare right here. He talks about a tree. And when Jesus starts comparing his kingdom to a mustard seed growing into a mustard tree, with birds and branches, there are those head scratchers and there are those naysayers in the crowd, for sure. But there's also people in the crowd with eyes lit up and they've got that smile on their face. They're like, and they're nodding because they're tracking with Jesus. Uh, Because there is a bunch of Old Testament stuff about trees and birds. In Psalm 104, You've got this big theme about birds nesting in branches of trees. In Daniel 4, the great Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, he is given a dream by God, and in the dream there is a tree growing, 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 and birds are, are in the branches, and the tree is providing for all of the birds. And then in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he is the tree, and the birds are the people of his empire. Ezekiel 31 Old Testament, there's this vision where the prophet Ezekiel, he sees Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he's a tree. He's a tree providing for everyone in his kingdom, and his outstretched outstretched branches, they stand for the outreach of his rule as birds from all nations flock to his branches. In Ezekiel 17, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, he sees a vision of the nation Israel. Israel is a tree, and God cuts it down. But then God takes a sprig from the very top of that tree. He replants it, and the seed grows and becomes the ultimate heavenly kingdom of God. And all kinds of birds from all over the earth flock to its branches, and they rest. So the attuned hearer in the crowd, hearing Jesus' parable, they might be thinking, oh, Jesus is the tree, and he's going to provide his kingdom for us. Okay, did they solve the riddle? Thank you. Because to the, like, to the individual, what does the kingdom and the king's provisions look like? Well, we know this. Many people keep following Jesus because they want his miracles. And they want more miracles. And then more than miracles, uh, they, they, want, they want what Jesus has. E- even Jesus' closest friends approach him to solicit those coveted honors of being his number twos on his right and on his left when he comes into power. They want his power. They, they ask for his influence. Okay, what about, to the, to the, how about to the crowd, to, to the group, what does the king and, and the king's provisions look like? They wanted Rome out. 
And we're talking, we're talking about, okay, listen, Jesus, you're establishing your kingdom. You're the tree. How about that provision of victory for your people? Your people who are oppressed, your people who are occupied. These people expect their king to come and, and overthrow, or, or at the very, very least, reform the, the oppressive, corrupt leaders of their own people who obviously don't care for the people. And they expect their king to destroy the occupying, oppressing forces of Rome who are everywhere, on every corner. Their stamp is on everything. These people heard Jesus teach about the kingdom. The king has come. To them, it meant Rome is done. Jesus will beat them. He'll build his palace in Jerusalem, and we're going to rule the world from Israel. And here is where you see the purpose of the parable being played out in history. As Jesus' ministry goes on and on, more and more are wondering, like, okay, wait, when? When? When is Jesus going to bring his kingdom? They get so impatient, they take him by force, and they're going to force him to become king. And he has to miraculously escape. And then, then they seem arrested and beaten and condemned to death by crucifixion. And when they see that, they leave him. They abandon him. This king is not going to bring us the kingdom now. Where are his provisions now? And then there's the so what for us. And yeah, we're on this side of the cross, but come on, let's do the so what for us. How about let's just start with the individual, you. What about you? Like you, because you have, let's be, you have had unmet expectations where you've expected one thing from your King Jesus and you got the opposite. It's fair to say, Jesus has disappointed each of you. It feels like because you are a Christian, things should go better for you. And yeah, we can trash health, wealth, happiness, success, gospel stuff, but, but why are we so disappointed when we're hurt? You're disappointed by suffering and injustices in life, and you're tired of hurting. And more than disappointment, like you have felt sick, undone, abandoned, betrayed by Jesus. Those questions of where is God's justice, where is healing, relief, rest, where are you, Jesus? And then let's just talk about the so what for, for us, together us, corporate us, the church us. And what about our disappointment and our hurt with Jesus? I mean, are we really okay with a spiritual kingdom in this life? No king here, no CEO of the church, no church headquarters, no capital for the church or is there a part of us, maybe a really big part of us, expecting a physical, a physical kingdom, some version of it now in this life? Now, how tempting is it? Are we supposed to have influence, prominence, a seat at the table with the cultural elite as the church? Does American Christianity, I mean, let's just, Houston Christianity, doesn't it want big, cool, powerful awe-inspiring Christianity. So what's the, what's the answer to the riddle? Jesus, tree, kingdom, provision. Jesus' parable, it has an unpromising beginning, a tiny mustard seed. Its growth, it's not even worth mentioning. He doesn't mention it. Slow growth, 
like watching a tree grow. Uh, but from that small beginning, a great ending, a tall tree gathering the birds of the air. The kingdom of God is not like dynamite or lightning, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is like a seed that grows into a tree. So when someone says to you, and someone has probably said this to each one of you, when someone says to you, hey, I want to come check out your church, have you ever thought to reply, well, yeah, you can come check it out if you want to, but have you ever watched a tree grow? That's not my line. That's another minister's line. But it sounds so Jesus-y. Uh, it's it, I, like, I, let me say this. I want our church to grow. And I'm just talking about like Cornerstone. I want Cornerstone to grow. Uh, and, and I want it to continue to grow. And, and it's going to continue to grow. And yes, I want visitors to come and I want them to be impressed in the best sense of that word, uh, that they leave with an impression so that they come back and then they keep coming. And either they come to know Jesus for the very first time or they continue to grow in faith in Jesus and grow with us for a long, long time. What we should expect to see, what other people should expect to see here in, in any church is organic. And it won't necessarily look like a big deal. Even though awesome growth is happening, even if you, even if they cannot see it. For the most part, Jesus' kingdom in this life, it is going to go unnoticed and unappreciated in the world. It is growing every second, but you can't see it. And you can't post the growth on the Insta book or the Twitter talk. The Christian church with its crucified Savior and its prayers and its preaching and its baptisms and its communion, that stuff is weak. It's insignificant. It's irrelevant. Who cares, says the world. And it's super tempting for all of us to think that. Uh, and yet, the church began with 12 insignificant peasants over 2,000 years ago in an ancient Near Eastern occupied town of the Roman Empire, one of the longest living empires in history, one of the geographically largest, most militarily, technologically advanced, diverse, prosperous, powerful empires in the history of the world. And the Roman Empire did not like the church. And so they sought out to destroy the church and kill anyone associated with it. And the Roman Empire is no longer with us. And the church is. That seemingly irrelevant, insignificant kingdom with its little unknown, insignificant, poor Jewish king and little conquered Jewish people with no land to call their own. That kingdom has grown, and Jesus' rule has spread across every socioeconomic boundary, every ethnic boundary, every cultural boundary. And it's, it, I mean, and it's not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. In other countries, you can go to jail. Loved ones, in other countries, you can lose your life to profess faith in Jesus today. But those Christians are willing to profess it if they must. And so many of them are content to meet in secret, content to identify each other with secret handshakes. And the church continues to grow in places like that. And to the world, that's unimpressive. 
to us, to the church, that's the glory of the kingdom of God in this life. And Jesus' kingdom, it will be around long after Google, Facebook, Apple, Disney, Hollywood, every pop cultural icon has faded and disappeared into irrelevance. The kingdom of Jesus will be around long after the U.S. if Jesus continues to tarry and doesn't come back today or tomorrow or the next day. Like, that Jesus' kingdom will outlast every other kingdom. That is the parable as it is played out in reality, in history, from beginning to end. Unpromising beginning for a kingdom when the king is arrested, condemned, tortured, humiliated, and then crucified as a criminal, and he dies. But that is the king's great provision for his kingdom. Jesus hanging on the tree in the place of sinners to save his enemies. That's us. Save us from our sins to make us his kingdom. Jesus is the tree in the parable, and his kingdom is growing. And those birds that come to the branches, those still represent what they did in the Old Testament, people from all nations flocking to Jesus. So we want to end with this, this thought of, do we, do we buy that? It, what this says about Jesus, but also what this says about what the church is, that this church is for anybody that wants Jesus. All kinds, every kind of person. There was a young man who was sent to Florida for Navy boot camp at the beginning of World War II. Some of you have heard this. He, he went to the library on his day off to, to read this book that he loved reading, but it wasn't so much the book that he loved reading. He loved reading the notes in the margins. So he did a little investigating, uh, and he finds out that this, uh, the person who had checked it out before him is named Hollis Maynell. Very roundabout search, getting her name, uh, he actually finds where she is in New York City. And, and so he writes her a letter explaining, I, I'm a Navy man in Florida in training. I read this book. I saw your notes. I've got to talk to you. So she writes him back. And they write back and forth for a while, and then he is shipped off for a year's service on the European front. They continue to write. He asks for a picture finally, and she says, shouldn't matter. And he agrees. Uh, and and, and they, finally he comes home after a year, and the plan is to meet her in Grand Central Station at 7 p.m. on his arrival. He'll wear his uniform, his sailor uniform. She'll wear a big red rose on her lapel. He gets off the train, and he sees a very, very attractive young lady coming near him in a spring green suit. She winks at him, and she says, going my way, sailor? But he looks past her because uh, he sees this other woman, much older, plain, in a simple brown dress with a simple brown hat and simple brown shoes, and she has a big red rose on her lapel, and he walks over to her, he takes off his hat, and he says, Ms. Maynell, I am Lieutenant Blackley. I am thrilled to meet you. May I please have the privilege of taking you to dinner? And she looks up at him and says, I have no idea what you're talking about. That girl in the green suit gave me this rose. She told me to wear it, and if you asked me to go to dinner, she would be waiting for you at the cafe across the street. And <laughs> so we say, like, yes, in the first instance, uh, like Jesus is wearing that red rose, yes, okay? And uh, then Jesus takes that red rose, as it were, 
and he pins it on the most unlikeliest of people, real outsiders. And Jesus says to us, if you love me, love them. If you worship me, invite and call them to join in that worship too. If you give your life to me, then give your life for them. And it is that thing of like, okay, this parables and this parable, are, are we looking for that outsider who's got that rose? They do, they've got that rose. Jesus is calling uh, them to come and join us in, in remembering uh, too, that we were once out, we were once outsiders. We were once the enemies of God. We're only in the kingdom because our King has died for us. Jesus is calling us to gather those outsiders out of death into life, to Himself, to love, to worship, on our way to that heavenly paradise kingdom that is physical. The physical it is coming, and it is eternal. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we bow in humility. Uh, it's hard to say that uh, because then it doesn't sound humble. But Lord, we do. We, we, we come to you because we need you. Uh, Lord, we come to you because you are our only hope of salvation, because you are our great provision, and you're the only provision for life in the face of death, for life that does not end. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to see your kingdom for what it is, the people that you have called to yourself. Lord, it, it, is, it, is, it is hard because we can't see it. We have to walk by faith. We pray that you would give us that faith uh, to love one another here and to serve one another here. And Lord, to look to the outsiders, to invite them in. Lord, we would need wisdom for that to know how to talk to people about the gospel. Uh, Lord, we pray for that wisdom. We pray for that opportunity. Uh, we pray that you would continue to gather your people across the world, grow us as your people uh, for that great purpose of worshiping and knowing you forever and ever and ever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.